Hello and welcome to Check One Two, where we give you the lowdown on testicular cancer by talking to survivors, advocates, and supporters of testicular cancer awareness here at the world famous podcast studio Glasgow. So today's guest is Nathan McCann, who plays with Hillhead Jordan Hill rugby team, and his story is interesting in terms of how he dealt with dealing with cancer almost on his own um, in a new relationship and um, playing rugby as well. So ladies and gentlemen, Nathan McCann. When, me and, when I was going through it, me and my wife, you know, we didn't, I, had, I didn't meet anybody else who was going through testicular cancer. So to be able to kind of have stories like yourself or like other guests that we've had on for folk to yeah. click on it and it just be really a nice wee, oh, I'm not alone in this. Yeah, that, that was probably the main thing for me. Like, see, when I, like, I was in the ward or whatever, mm. I was just surrounded by, like, no one else really. There was one other guy who had to sit her cancer, but that's the only other person I'd ever known to kind of come across it. Yeah. So, like, I'd obviously come across cancer in my family, like, just, or family friends or whatever, but I never actually kind of had a one-on-one, like, I can relate to what you're going through kind of thing. Yeah, so. yeah. Right. And I th- and that's the, that's the big thing, eh? Like, because you do need that... To be able to relate, you know, you look at all the other kind of cancer charities or cancer, just cancer uh, support out there, it's all geared around, like, you know, because obviously testicular cancer stats aren't massive, yeah. and especially in Scotland, and we're so widespread. But to be able to have this connection for guys to kind of hook into, so hopefully over the kind of coming months and years, and hopefully we can have, we're able to do this for a long time and just always have yeah. guests on that are, are willing to kind of share their stories. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the. There was just one other guy, like in the ward. I think he came in for his, like his first treatment the same day that I did. Right. So he was like the only other person. I was like, oh, finally someone I can like chat to about it. Because yeah. obviously, chat to your pals or whatever. But you just kind of take the piss. You have a laugh. Yeah. Like it's not a serious kind of side of it. But with that one other guy, I was kind of chatting away, being like, we're feeling the same kind of things with like family, just kind of hearing the news and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Just refreshing to kind of, and nice to have someone else to kind of, at least, you were going through the same thing at the same time. Yeah, and almost share war stories as such, eh? Like, yeah. I'm feeling like this today, like, <laughs> you know, how are you feeling? Yeah, like, I, I specifically remember I was, like, I'd be like, yeah, I'm feeling all right, but he was having, like, really bad side effects just from the chemo and stuff like that, but I was like, all right, maybe I don't have it too bad then. Yeah. <laughs> like, because he was like, yeah, I've been sick, like, dizzy when I stand up, stuff like that, and I was like... All right, I'm I'm a bit tired. Uh, I'll probably just read in. Like, I was aware that I clearly didn't have like as bad an experience as it could have been. I suppose so. It's amazing, like when you talk to like other folk, like how varied the the reaction to yeah. the chemo was as well. Like, you know, like you've got guys like um, like yourself who maybe didn't have a huge amount of side effects, and you've got folk who are just flowed just, like, and everyone out. going. Yeah. Um, there's a a guy that I've been following in, on TikTok um, who's gone through his treatment just now, so he's kind of vlogging it almost on TikTok. And um, he was talking about the... Um, do you know? Do you remember... Did you get the injections to stop your, like, being sore? Like, I, didn't you, get, I didn't get anyone to, like, for being sore or anything like that. I just got kind of the white blood cell mm-hmm. thingies that I had to give myself, but I didn't have any kind of other injections yeah. outside of that. Oh, it's like, uh, and I think it was like those ones as well, and he was talking about those, um, and then, you know, it's like he had to go into the, the morphine sulfate, um, and 
I got that, but I never needed to use it. And yeah. then you think, how much pain you must be in to go, no, I'm going to take essentially medical heroin. Yeah, like you know, now that pain. you're saying that, I'm like, oh, maybe I really did get it quite good to like <laughs> all things considered. Yeah. But but um, so thanks for coming on anyway and, yeah, no and, and, and being willing to share your story. It's great to, to kind of have you here. Um, could you just, you know, for everybody out there, just a bit about yourself, you know, and your, your treatment uh, and um, things like that? Yeah, so my name's Nathan. Um had testicular cancer. Um when did I get diagnosed? Diagnosed in kind of October last year. Um had kind of three rounds of treatment and then um was given the all clear in February. So I'm just kinda of going for like my follow up checkups and things like that. Um but yeah, that's I like sport. Um I also like to play my PlayStation, bit of a nerd in that way. <laughs> like same with films like Lord of the Rings, Marvel nerd but yeah that's just a wee bit about me yeah and so you obviously you know getting that um diagnosis at such a, a kind of young age you know yeah. um uh, how did h how did you feel you know when you, you initially got told it you know in fact i'm sorry i'll, I'll kind of maybe start a wee bit further back like how did you end up finding that you had to start a cancer so it's a bit of a bit of a weird one um my mum lives in america so i was going away out there um, last May kind of time, um, was getting ready to go out there, um, go and see her, spend a couple of weeks there, um, and I think maybe three or four days before I went away, I was like, I was in the bath, obviously, um, and I was like, that doesn't feel right, um, so yeah, made a call, just wanted to schedule a doctor's appointment um, for when I came back, and then kind of the whole time I was away, like, I was like, I'd be lying at night, just kind of feeling my testicle, like just kind of be like, this doesn't feel good. Um, because like years prior, I went to the doctors and it was just, it turned out to be an epididymal cyst. So I knew what that felt like. And I was like, this feels completely different. Um, so yeah, fast forward, end of my holiday, went to the doctors. Um, arrived at the doctors, kind of explained the situation. Um, and obviously they performed the examination, um, went through that. And he was like, yeah, I don't really think there's much to worry about. And I was kind of standing there and I was like, I feel like this should be something I should worry about because it just doesn't yeah. feel, I was trying to explain to him, like, I know what it feels like now, but once everything kind of relaxes and you've warmed up a bit, you can feel everything a lot better. And I kind of was explaining to him that it's, it's a rock solid, like kind of lump. Um, so yeah, he basically just said, I'll put you down for um, an ultrasound. The waiting list could be kind of six months because obviously everything was still backlogged from COVID. So I was like, right, okay. I didn't feel kind of comfortable with that. Um, so went away from the doctors and just obviously once you kind of find something like that, you're like, it's constantly on your mind. Yeah, um, I, Like for me, it was anyway. Um, so kind of... Going from there, I was like, I can't, I'm not waiting for, um, like, because I've been before to kind of get a checkup and stuff. I had no kind of qualms about, oh, I don't really want anyone to examine me or anything. I was like, this doesn't feel right. and I'm not waiting six months to have this ultrasound. Um, so kept kind of not hounding the doctor and, like, the doctor's surgery phoning. But I phoned quite a few times and just explained this definitely isn't, like something I want to kind of wait. So they rushed through. I didn't get to see that doctor again. And they just kind of rushed through. 
right, you go for um, an ultrasound. So I think the ultrasound was sh- kind of scheduled for, this was kind of an ongoing thing, um, and it just happened to be that it was scheduled for um, October. So we got it as soon as I could. Um, but again, up until that, I'd went away on another holiday with my friends. We went to Portugal, and that kind of whole time it was in the back of my mind. I'm like, I'm feeling it. Even I was starting to feel it when I was kind of running about playing rugby. So like certain ways I'd move my leg, it was just really uncomfortable. So then when it came to kind of October time, the actual testicle had gone like rock solid is the only way to kind of describe it. Wow. Okay. So I still had a lump, but my actual testicle just felt very heavy and yeah, like basically like a stone mm-hmm. is the only way I could describe it. Um, and yeah, fast forward to October um, had my ultrasound booked for um, I think it was up at York Hill but I turned up at Gartnaville <laughs> so I was just because I go I've got like a hereditary kind of blood condition where I get checkups they're always at Gartnaville so I just assumed this appointment was at Gartnaville turned up and the wee receptionist was like I can't see your name anywhere have you got your letter and I was like yep here it is and she was like you're meant to be at York Hill 10 minutes ago. I was like, right, great. Um, but thankfully, they took me that day. Um, took me that day. Maybe I had to wait kind of half an hour, 45 minutes. Um, and yeah, I'd been for an ultrasound before because of the epididymal cyst back when I was at uni. Um, so kind of knew the script. Um, they started kind of scanning the area. Um, and maybe like two or three minutes into it, we were chatting away with the two nurses that were in there. Um maybe kind of two or three minutes in, they just kind of went silent. And I was like, that's kind of, I knew in the back of my head, like I kind of went into that being like, right, I probably do have testicular cancer. Hadn't told anyone. And then when I was actually in and they all of a sudden just kind of, there was no chat and they kind of gave it, not like a look, but they just kind of looked at each other and kind of a bit of worry. Um, And she was like, right, if you just wait outside, um, we'll get you like another appointment sorted. So then I knew basically she was like, we'll, we'll either see you tomorrow or Wednesday. Um, and then from there, I knew pretty much that I had testicular cancer. So um, I think the actual diagnosis was on the Wednesday. Um, like had bloods and stuff taken as well. Um, and yeah, that's kind of how I found out. And so it was a bit of a kind of, it would have, went on longer, could have been potentially a lot worse if I hadn't just kind of kept annoying the doctor, basically. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that, good for you for being able to kind of be so kind of um, strong in your advocation for, like, wanting to be checked earlier because, you know, a lot of folk, and I think that's the problem now yeah, as well, a lot of folk is, will yeah. just go, no, the doc said it's okay, I'm not, I'm not going to wait, or I'll just wait, sorry. And I think for for that kind of period of time, you know, you were clearly worried anyway, but to be told it could be six months, that must have been crippling. It was just, I was like, obviously I get it, everyone's kind of waiting for treatment and things like that, and the NHS are doing the best they can, but I was just basically like, the doctor has said that this kind of isn't really something to worry about, but just kind of had that feeling like myself, um, that I was just like this isn't this isn't normal basically, um, and then kind of once I came back from my like the holiday with my friends, 
Um, that was in August. That was like where things kind of became. I was like noticing it in kind of day to day life, but I just kind of thought it was. I was just uncomfortable, kind of constantly, um, and I was at work. Um, like I work from home and things like that, so pretty chilled out. But I was basically I was tired constantly, and I had like a really really sore lower back, um, and then obviously fo following treatment that tiredness, the sore back went away. So that was kind of another kind of telltale sign where looking back, I'm like, that's why I had those kind of symptoms. Um, like there'd be days where I was like falling asleep at my desk so I could sleep for nine hours at night, get up and then come kind of lunchtime, um, like 12 o'clock, sit at my desk, I was ready for like falling asleep again. Um, and then like sometimes I'd be, after work I'd want to go to the gym um, or I'd have to take the dog out um, I'd be I'd sit down, have a coffee after work, and I remember one night waking up at like half ten, just sitting on the couch. So it was just stuff like that where once you kind of all add it up, I was like, this definitely isn't normal. Um, so yeah, just kind of finally getting to. I think it was maybe a bit of relief as well that like they actually finally were like, right, this is the this is what the issue is. You do have to stick to the cancer. Where I was like, initially. Kind of when I was in that ultrasound appointment, not weight lifted, but just kind of like I kind of I was right, like there was reason to kind of follow up, um, and then just obviously I was I was kind of I was fine, but then once I got to the actual when you get sat down and then he explains, the doctor says, "Do you have like do you have to stick cancer? You have to stick to the cancer," yeah. and I was just like, then everything kind of came out. Like I had a, a good cry and then yeah, that yeah. was, I think kind of after that initial kind of like 10 minutes of being sat down and told, like from then on, I, I wasn't really too, it was more just like, right, this is what I've got to do rather than, oh no, this has happened to me sort of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of had a, a similar experience with mine that I, my, um, when I got my, my ultrasound and all that, it was pretty conclusive, like yeah. that it was going to be. But I still had this weird thing in the back of my head because my GP and the urologist that I saw, um, when they both examined me, like my GP was like, I don't know what this is. It doesn't feel right. Yeah. Up to the urologist. So I went up to urology. Even the urologist was like, it doesn't typically feel like a cancer. Mm -hmm. But it's because it turned out mine was what was called an embryotic carcinoma. So it was growing inside the testicle but no. the only reason that I had a lump was because it herniated so um, it had this like kind of not quite as big as a pea size but it was really it was like you said like rock hard um, but it was that thing of got all that information and it was like yeah it looks like it is testicular cancer but it was when I had more orchidectomy and they'd done the biopsy on it pretty much that day this yeah. the surgeon came round and was like yeah so with your testicular cancer, we're going to move on to probably chemotherapy. And it was at that point, it all hit home and I just burst into tears. And yeah. the surgeon kind of looked at me like, did you not know this was potentially what was... And I was like, no, I knew, but it's just now hearing it out it's loud. It's just hearing the... Yeah, and then moving the on to... cancer, I suppose. Aye, and then moving on to chemotherapy. Because, you know, you yourself, you've probably, you know, heard the people or, or just heard off chemo um, growing up. It's a heavy word to hear, you know. Um, so you've you've went in, you've you've um, 
you've had your ultrasound. Were you booked in for your surgery relatively quickly after that? So, yeah, I think I. So I think that I think the Wednesday, it was a Wednesday in October that I was basically sat down, told I had um, testicular cancer, and then I think they'd maybe arranged it for like the Friday or the Monday. So it was really quickly. It was a really quick turnaround to just kind of, um, obviously get the testicle removed. Um, but I do remember when I was as well, just as we were talking about it, when I sat sat down and been told I had testicular cancer, they obviously take your bloods and stuff like that as well. I remember sitting down with like a nurse who came in. You know how like some nurses just have like, you're a mum, like kind of vibe about them. Yeah, definitely. She yeah. came in and I just, because my mum was in America, I just burst out crying again. Yeah. And I was just like, I don't know if it was just because she was kind of like, she just reminded me of her because my mum used to be a nurse as well. Mm. So as soon as she came in, I just floods of tears again. And then that was me. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I think it was maybe kind of either the Friday or the Monday. So it was a relatively quick um, turnaround for the actual surgery. Um, like, as I said, just kind of as soon as they were like, these are the steps we need to take, surgery, chemo, I was like, let's just do it. Yeah. Um, like, again, not, relieve's not the right word, but just finally kind of being like, right, this is what's wrong with me, let's kind of fix it mm -hmm. and kind of move forward from there. Um, so yeah, I didn't, as you said, just kind of hearing about chemotherapy and my papa had, um, I think he had stage four lymphoma and he had to get chemo and stuff like that. Um, I just remember going in as a kid, kind of seeing him. Somehow, miraculously, he recovered, he's completely fine. But just like seeing him there, that's my only like lying in the bed, just kind of obviously un having all the side effects and stuff like that. I was just like, that is my only kind of experience with it. So obviously I was a bit apprehensive and kind of worried. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I was I was the same. My only experience um, with can anybody going through chemo, I must have been about either 10 or 11. And there was a, a kid who was like just a year younger than me. He had leukemia. Mm -hmm. um, so my experience was just this guy going through chemo as a kid and unfortunately you know uh, uh, this guy he um, he died um, I think he was 12 um, mm. uh, when he died and that, so that was my whole experience of seeing somebody because like you know when you, you hear chemo you just think poison you think the hair falling out how gaunt people get yeah. you know although I'm probably one of the few people who actually got fat while on chemo <laughs> uh, that was one thing I like obviously you get all the fluids and stuff I my face was massive I just it all gone to like my neck and my face just all the fluids so I was the same I just definitely I think I woke up maybe obviously the weigh and stuff like that as well mm -hmm. and I think I maybe woke up like 8 kilograms heavier than I did the day before so I, I felt it it wasn't I just felt like a big blob it wasn't ideal but you know and it's and I suppose it's all the steroids they give you as well for that yeah. sickness and all that type of thing as well so obviously um, you're going through all that your mum's over in the States. Yeah. Um, it's quite a heavy emotional burden to kind of carry as well, especially being so young, losing a Tesco. Um, I'll ask this anybody and you, you don't have to answer it and we can kind of um, gloss over it, but did you opt for getting the prosthetic or was it something you chose not to do? So, so, I was, like, I remember telling my girlfriend when it happened, um, I just remember sitting, I'd just been told I'd just had cancer, had my cry, 
and then like just kind of came around and genuinely like it must have been about two minutes after he said I had cancer he was like so do you want a prosthetic or not and I was like I haven't even remotely kind of contemplated a prosthetic or anything like that but I, at the end of the day I didn't bother I was just like it is what it is yeah like yeah and it's interesting. I didn't either. You know, it, yeah. it was just the same. And it was you, you get, but you get folk who they, you know, sometimes like I've, I've heard guys who never even got the choice to just say, "No, we'll put this prosthetic in." And then oh, really? yeah, and you'll get or you'll get guys who are just who are maybe young and like no, in terms of kind of it allows me to um, tell somebody that I've had that before. You know, like so, you know, if you're with somebody and um, yeah, just the chance to kind yeah, of explain. Just the, uh, yeah, just the chance to explain. Well, this has happened, and actually, watch this. Ping! It doesn't <laughs> hurt. <laughs> yeah, I just, I was like, ah, it really makes zero difference to me. It's not gonna. When they kind of explain that you can get scar tissue and you may have to take it out at a later date and stuff like that, I was just like, you know what? It sounds like it's more hassle than it's worth. So mm. I'll just go without. Yeah, and 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 see these types of conversations as well. I mean, guys who hopefully, um, if they do catch this before they go, you know, it, it helps give a more informed kind of thing because, yeah. you know, it, your masculinity is not tied to your testicles. I think that's the thing. Yeah. I think you know, and we all, and I even even though I felt I feel I felt like that, I still had afterwards. You know that kind of like, oh, I'm I'm not quite whole and all that type of thing. But it wasn't. I didn't think I needed another one. It was just a, yeah. a very strange um, type of feeling, like to to be missing something, you know. Yeah, I know, I know what you mean. It was just kind of. It was more the kind of. Oh, it's not there anymore. Like it's it's missing. There's no. But I think maybe kind of a week or so after the surgery, I was like, realistically, it doesn't matter. Everything can function properly. You can function properly with just one. So I was just like, there's no. As far as I can see, there's no benefit to having a prosthetic one other than the aesthetic of yeah. having two balls again. <laughs> so, and uh, let's be honest, you know, balls aren't the most aesthetic. Yeah, things exactly. To, so I was just like, you know what, with. it's fine. I'll, <laughs> yeah. I'll make do with one. And I just like, nah, nah, the one will do fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so obviously, like having been uh, in a kind of a situation where you're really fit, you go to the gym, you play sport, you know, you play rugby. Um, you know, at what stage um, your kind of your rugby season and all this did this happen for you? Can you can you remember that? So I remember doing. So obviously pre-season would be kind of July, August, September. Um, season usually starts around September. Um, so I just remember that's kind of I was saying when I noticed kind of things becoming more uncomfortable when I would be doing running and certain things. You know, you kind of fix your ball every so often <laughs> I was doing that all the time but it was purely because it was there was just like a general discomfort that was ongoing as I was running around and just running about um, so I'd say maybe season started uh, maybe like the first week in September or something like that um, and I probably got like two or three games in um, and yeah that's when I kind of found out I had to stick their cancer mm -hmm. um, but yeah just kind of playing with it it w it didn't affect me kind of as much like um like performance wise but there was just always a constant discomfort so if i fell a certain way i'd been tackled a certain way i'd be like oh that's that doesn't definitely doesn't feel right so i think that kind of reinforced my initial this definitely isn't just 
an epididymal cyst or something like that. Um, so yeah, I think kind of following that, it was maybe late September um, and I think had, I think I maybe played about an hour of the game um, and I just, I don't think I even got touched. I just had like a, a shooting pain, like right on the kind of the side of my testicle because that's I had a lump right on the side. So it was, for me, it was like blaringly obvious that yeah. this is, because it wasn't at either end or where there's kind of the tubes and everything are. So I was like, this is, to me, blaringly obvious that this is what, it's, what it is. Um, so yeah, I think that was kind of the moment where, again, in my head, I was like, this needs to get checked. So I was just like running along or... I don't know, had went to go for a line or something like that and I just had like a shooting pain in my testicle and I was just like, this is, this definitely shouldn't be happening. Um, so yeah, I think maybe following that, I think I'd, I'd done something to my calf, pulled my calf, strained it or something like that. So I wasn't playing anyway um, at the start of October and in the middle of October is when I found out. So Yeah, and it's it's quite amazing. I always say this, like um, rugby guys are, Hard the bits of kit though, like because I mean the fact that you were playing even with that. Because I remember, like for me, like I was like you know that way you skip down the stairs one or two at a time. Yeah. I feel that kind of heaviness, and it took the wind out of me. You know, I'm like I, I can't imagine playing yeah, another rugby. <laughs> I think it was like literally, it was just kind of every so often I'd get like a weird pain. Yeah, and like I don't. It was just kind of like a, there was a dull kind of ache, kind of constantly, but kind of. As time passed, you kind of get used to it, sort of thing. But then again, that pain every so often was the moment where I was like, right, I can't keep doing this sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was playing on, but realistically, I probably should have earlier been like, this needs to be kind of sorted before I continue. So. Mm. And did you um, like? Did you confide in any of your teammates or any of your kind of friends? So this is the thing, I kept it completely... I didn't want to say to anyone, look, I think I might have this or I think I might have that. I just wanted to basically, because my girlfriend's kind of annoyed that I kept it all to myself. Um, and like my mum and stuff like that, they're like, oh, why didn't you tell anyone? Like, why didn't you tell me? I could have helped you, could have gone to your appointments. And I was like, I didn't want to add that kind of extra worry to, obviously everyone's got their own stresses, their own kind of worries at the time. I didn't want to then add to that. Mm. So in my head, I was like, it could be nothing. And I might have worried someone for no reason, basically. Like, yes, it would have been a bit of peace of mind and might have been easier to kind of go to appointments, help me through. But I didn't want to kind of create that worry. So I was just like, I'll wait until I have a definitive answer and then I'll take it from there. Um, so, yeah, I basically waited till I had that appointment where he mentioned the word cancer. I was like, right, now I can... Now I kind of have to let people know. I can't kind of keep it to myself any longer. Mm -hmm. And would you, like now looking back on that, would you change that? Or would it, is it still something you probably just kind of... Yeah, I don't I don't think I would, to be honest. Yeah. Like, I, it's not because, obviously, like, my family, friends, girlfriend, they would have been super supportive, would have helped me, like, although some of my pals live a bit further afield, as soon as they knew, they would, like, come up and visit. We'd spend time together. It's not because of like, I didn't know if they'd support me or anything like that. It was purely because I didn't want to worry anyone else at the time until I kind of found it a bit more myself. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. And I suppose as well, because it's such a, a rare thing to happen. And again, like the people around you probably hadn't really met anybody with this type of cancer. And most people's, you know, um, knowledge about it comes from like maybe the kind of sports people that have had it. You know, like yeah. with my age group, it'd be Alan Stubbs and John Hartson and uh, Lance Armstrong. Those were the yeah. three, you know. John Hartson and um, Lance Armstrong were the two that like stood out for me. Um, but yeah, it was also my girlfriend wasn't really my girlfriend at the time. We'd been seeing each other and then I was like, look, I've got this issue. If you don't want to be my girlfriend or whatever, I totally get it. And then later that day of finding out I had cancer, that's when we kind of became official sort of thing. So it was like a really weird, like, like I would have totally understood if she was just like, I can't like go through this or anything like that, but she's been amazing. So yeah, yeah it was just a really weird kind of situation to be in, like in limbo sort of thing. Yeah. And yeah, being at that kind of start of a relationship, you know, and it's, you know, and especially to be doing with one of your kind of like your, your sexual organs, you know, yeah. it's at the start <laughs> of a young relationship, you know, know. It's, it was it's, not ideal. But. Yeah. It's uh, but amazing that, you know, because a lot of people might have just went like, yeah, I, I'm going to tap out of this, you know. Yeah. Um, and you could understand that. And, yeah, no, I was, I was totally like, I completely understand if like, not what you signed up for sort of thing. Mm -hmm. So but she was like, I think she literally, we went a walk that day um, and she like accidentally splitted out like, oh, so you're my boyfriend, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, so you've accidentally called me a boyfriend. So is this <laughs> official now? And it went from there. Um, but yeah, it was just a a really weird kind of limbo that we were both in. Yeah. Um, and yeah, to come out the other side of it, obviously, is fantastic. So yeah, yeah, and and, and it's such a struggle as well because even though, you know, like the it's your it's you that's going through it, you know, the effect that it has on the people who are directly with you at yeah. that whole time, it's it's quite it's quite something, you know. I think for me that was the kind of the biggest thing that I noticed, like. For me, yes, I had it, but it was more of, I've just got to get through it, got some chemo, blah, 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 I'll be fine, mm -hmm. um, come the end of it, I'll be bald, but hopefully it'll come back. <laughs> um, and then once I kind of got to around Christmas time, that was my, I think my third round of chemo, um, and that's when I noticed kind of... Like I, I've always, I was always aware of it beforehand, but that's when I really noticed this is a lot harder for other people. I think like my girlfriend, um, and like my mum and dad and my grand and papa and stuff like that. This is a lot harder for them than kind of it is for me because like I'm like, oh, I'll be fine, blah blah blah. But they're the ones kind of seeing it from the outside, mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that's when it first kind of hit me. This is actually quite a big thing for other people maybe more so than it is for me. Like, I'd know that I was kind of understating it or just being like, ugh, it's fine. Um, it was more like, all right, this is pretty serious and stuff like that, and it is having an effect on other people. Mm. I think it's as well, like, for you personally, you're looking at it from, like, you, you, ha you have to compartmentalise it a little bit yeah. because, you know, people objectively looking at it, you know, see the, you know, the way that you're looking, you know, they see that you're in pain or that you're kind of looking like you're struggling um, physically. 
Um, but also, you know, other people who have their cancer and they objectively think more about the mortality of it, you know, whereas yeah. I couldn't, you know, I had to be positive and, and really stay on track with like, no, I'm going to get better. It's fine. I'm just, this is just yeah. what I'm going through, you know? And for me, it wasn't until after all that happened and I was clear that all those thoughts hit me. Yeah, like, oh I, shit, I've been through quite a big thing here. That was the same for me. I think maybe, again, I was more just like, once I was first diagnosed and things like that, I was like, ah, look, get the testicle out, we'll be fine. Got to do X, Y, Z, and you'll be grand. Mm -hmm. Like, that was basically how I kind of dealt with it in my in my head. And then I think it was kind of around that Christmas time when I realised what it was, the kind of impact I had on other folk. I remember just, I was lying, like went next door, was lying on my bed with my girlfriend and I just completely just like burst out in tears again because mm -hmm. that's when it kind of hit me with the kind of mortality of it and just basically all the emotions other folk were feeling and I think I'd kind of bottled up the kind of this might not go well sort of thing in my head but never really kind of, never really kind of vocalised it or anything to anyone. And then when my girlfriend was there, we both just kind of let loose and that's when it kind of came out and let her know kind of all the things I was feeling, like about my appearance, just kind of I was tired all the time. I was trying to pretend like, oh no, I'm just a bit tired, I'll be fine. But I was absolutely knackered. I think I stayed in from, I think maybe my last treatment was, I got out on New Year's Eve for yeah. one of my treatments. So I think from the start of the year to about the 8th or 9th of January I didn't leave the house I was too like couldn't walk the dog couldn't do anything I was just completely like out of it completely knackered um, and yeah I think that's when everything kind of hit me um, and was more just kind of not fingers crossed but I was like I hope this will go well sort mm -hmm. of thing so I'd went from I'd went from being like this is fine it's all going to go well to kind of maybe having that doubt in my head where um yeah, it is cancer. It's obviously cancer is quite generally a very bad thing. Um and yeah, that's when I was just having the kind of thoughts of what if this happens, what if that happens? And like going for my scans, I was always just shitting myself, like, what is please don't come up with anything else. Like Yeah. Yeah, that's just kind of how I dealt with it in my own head, sort mm. of thing. And obviously, you know, being so close to um, having finished treatment and all that one of the my big f things is still um, and I'm eight years and I'm still like oh, I hope it doesn't come back um, in fact I'm in the process like I've found something um, on my remaining testicle mm -hmm. um, going to be getting an ultrasound um, but it's funny because I've done the same thing as you I, I had my ultrasound was last week I turned up uh, to Four Father Royal and I'm like, I'm here from ultrasound. They're like, oh, you're meant to be in Stirling uh, at half. I'm like, oh no, but unfortunately they couldn't take me. They were backlogged, yeah. so I've got that reappointment. But it's that reoccurrence of the cancer that I think it's just really kind of is, always yeah, in the, the back, back of your, your head, head, sort of thing. Yeah, it's, I guess it's just one of the things that comes with it. I suppose just kind of a any wee like I was going to say any wee thing that kind of comes up, and you're like, not sure how I feel about that. So I was saying I injured my calf. Yep. I had like scar tissue just kind of between my my calf and like my Achilles. Um, and this was as I was kind of 
the tail end of treatment and stuff like that and I was like it was like a solid lump so I went to have to get an ultrasound on that they weren't really sure what it was at the time um, but eventually I got back and they were like it's just scar tissue but see just going and I had to be like to my girlfriend Sarah I've felt this in my calf just letting you know it'll be fine but like in the back of my head I'm like please don't be like I didn't know what it could have been at the time but I was like please don't be something else that like I have to kind of worry about or kind of the cancer's gone elsewhere sort of thing so that was just kind of in the back of my head as well and just kind of any wee any wee ache or pain you're like mm, I should probably get this seen to yeah, like you it. become a lot more not kind of active about getting things seen to but you just kind of subconsciously you're right right I've had a test clout I've had loads of people look at my balls like <laughs> there's nothing that will make me kind of steer me away from the doctors anymore like I'll just get it sorted and we'll take it from there sort of thing yeah and which is a really healthy attitude to take as well because I mean the biggest problem is that as guys we don't go to the doctors and we, yeah. we don't make that approach especially when it's to do with your balls as well you know yeah. so it's it's something that's always quite frightening I always think as well like when you were saying that the doctor was saying ah that's it's maybe nothing to worry about you hear that quite a lot that that was an initial case and you know, as cojones, we're try we're out there trying to get rid of the stigma and embarrassment among just men in Scotland. But the more and more you talk to people, and because of the job that I'm doing, and you're meeting people who not only have had cancer but maybe have had scares, mm -hmm. but there is there seems still to be a stigma around to start a cancer with doctors. You know, because they're not they're just going now nah, it'll be fine. Yeah. Obviously, the instances are low, but there is the, for me there doesn't seem to be a a seriousness on just checking and reassuring somebody. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I think it's just... It's one of those things where... Like, I don't know about you, but when I went to the doctors, there was not two individual balls. It was it was freezing. So I was like, there's no way he's going to be able to get a proper, like, kind of examination of what I can do when I'm, like, at home sort of thing. So I feel like they're always going to err on just the side of being safe, like, you'll be okay, probably nothing to worry about, rather than worst-case scenario straight away. But then that worst-case scenario, if that had been something he'd done at the time, so it spread to my lymph nodes, they were enlarged. Right. It was only a few, like, it wasn't, hadn't massively kind of travelled. Um, but that space and time where I'm phoning up the doctor's trying to get another appointment or basically just get someone to see me could have been a time where it could have just been confined to like the testicle itself and maybe not have travelled elsewhere. So if someone's then again I'm saying I like six months was the um the kind of time frame I was given when I initially went. If someone's waiting that six months you can go from kind of having touched up their cancer to it having travelled to your lungs or whatever. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's a difficult position for doctors to be in um, as well, I think, just because of the nature of it. Mm. But like if you're waiting six months and stuff like that, I know it's not their kind of their fault or anything, but yeah, maybe to kind of, for them to just kind of initially float it as an idea mm -hmm. to kind of get a quick answer back about it would be a much better way to kind of go about it rather than 
months down the line you're going to have to deal with the cancer having spread or anything like that. So yeah, yeah, like you're saying, it is just. I think there needs to be more kind of the stigma around ourselves going to get checked and GPs maybe kind of taking an extra step to kind of I don't know I don't know how you'd go about it mm -hmm. but yeah I definitely think it's a something that's important as mm -hmm. well. I, I think the the biggest thing is is making sure that like I we have stories like yourself and mine and other guys who have been through it and being able to have conversations like this and and really opening up that that discourse about it and it and taking away the stigma you know, for us it's you know, going into schools, going into sports clubs and, and really kind of making sure that guys know it's, it's alright to talk about your balls and it's yeah. okay to kind of, to, for that to be a problem and, and going to the doctors isn't going to be an issue. I think that's yeah. the thing that we really need to engage in. And, you know, you have folk who will say that guys, and I've, I've said it on this uh, today already, is that guys are really bad at going to the doctor anyway. So I think that having these types of interactions where oh, it's probably nothing, can sometimes put you off maybe following up or going yeah. on or uh, I, I don't think that is over, overtly helpful and I, I like and I, I agree with you it's not necessarily their fault in terms of like kind of waiting times but you know they do have to look at how they're dealing with that person that's in front of them and yeah. see like I mean I've had knee problems where I've like had a bit of cartilage that blew in my knee and I had to go for an ultrasound and that but I could still walk you know yeah. so it's like I'd quite happily give up my ultrasound space for uh, yeah. somebody who's got a lump on their testicle and I'm not even just saying that as a cancer survivor like before that but I, no it's, if that's a more a priority then yeah. fine like something like that your knee or like I kind of ruptured the my bicep and stuff like that it's like you can get kind of there's not peace of mind like you're like right that's injured it'll get fixed we'll deal with it it'll be fine in a while whereas like something with a testicle because it's so it because it is so private like there's not kind of the same kind of it's just it's a difficult space where doctors and stuff do have to kind of like, I don't know kind of if that was ever fed back to my doctor that he said I was pretty much nothing to worry about, but then six months down the lane, I'm going through chemo, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't know if that ever gets fed back to a doctor and maybe next time they'll then do a more kind of, not more thorough examination, but they'll perform an examination and then be like, you're going for an ultrasound. We're going to get it sorted quickly, mm -hmm. address it quickly, rather than down the line six months again um, kind of hoping that everything's still fine so yeah I don't know if that ever got fed back to my doctor or I've not seen them since um, not kind of heard um, but yeah I don't know just maybe something something where there is a bit more kind of communication just between certain folk in the NHS or private or whatever mm -hmm. just that let's rule out this and then take it from there rather than let's just wait and see and then we'll rule it out kind of six months down the line. Yeah, because you've got that dual message that happens within that as well. You've maybe got instances where like your situation happens and it's or it's it's something that it maybe, I think feeling what you're describing, you'd have to think that that was odd, yeah. a, you know, but at the same time, taking that stance off, but it's probably not to worry about to obviously pushing, you know, I think you go to any GP surgery now, you see all the early detection posters. Yeah. And it's the key thing, especially with antistatal cancer, because like you rightly said, suddenly it can be 
in your lungs, in your brain, you know what I mean? It can yeah. be anywhere. Um, so it's trying to marry those two ideas together and go, well, if you're need to get seen and you know you've got guys and you're talking about early detection surely you need to kind of but yeah I mean nothing that you and I can change but certainly yeah. something that you know it, the hope is that again that it's not just people who have got to stick the cancer that watch this you know there's other like and yeah. maybe a GP watches this and goes yeah okay I'll, I'll take that on board as well and it kind of saves you know that happening to somebody else because you hear about it a lot I think that's the scary thing yeah. you, know, you do and not just with testicular cancer for a lot of cancers you know it's and again the NHS is overwhelmed and it's a shame that it's like that but again you're getting folk who are maybe not getting treatment as quickly as it could have been because like you said you could have just had the operation and maybe a round of chemo Yeah. Now, right. you know, and now you've had to go through three and it, it's difficult to kind of yeah. go through that. Um, what type of chemo did you receive? Can you remember? I can't remember. The, uh. They always, they just, they sat me down and just kind of described the, they gave me like, it was like three letters. Um, was it BEP? It might have been, yep. yeah. Yeah. They basically gave me the strongest amount and as much of the strongest amount as they could. Yeah. So I had three rounds of that. Um, and yeah, they were basically just like, you're young, fit, otherwise healthy. Let's just basically kind of throw this at you um, in the hope that that will sort everything out. So, yeah, mm. I had three rounds of that. Um, and, yeah, I think obviously the effects are cumulative. So the first one I went in for, I, d I honestly didn't feel too bad. Um, but then kind of round two and three, I was like out of breath, doing anything absolutely knackered and I remember my girlfriend was like oh no you look fine you look alright Like, and then looking back I'm like I look terrible like <laughs> she, I'm just like yep she was She was like yep you look like you had cancer yeah. <laughs> and I was like ah, thanks thanks for letting me know uh, there's, uh, there's a picture I use when I'm doing my talks and I basically look like Uncle Fester you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just like the baggy eyes the, the bald head I'm like yeah it's Christopher Lloyd up there I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure like you know Modoc from Marvel. Yes, yeah. So that had just come out, like Ant Man and the uh, Quantumania or whatever, mm -hmm. and I'd like photoshopped a picture of me as Modoc or whatever, and it just my face was so round and just like so puffy. That I was like, that is exactly what I look like. Um, but yeah, for me, like the chemo as a whole wasn't too bad. Like I was saying earlier, when I was speaking to that other guy who was getting his treatment at the same time. Um, he was having like pins and needles um, dizzy when he got up he was sick constantly he couldn't do anything um, and he was getting like kind of like not like bolts of like just kind of weird pains throughout his body that would kind of happen and I was just like I'm just tired yeah. like when he was kind of saying that I was like yes I have cancer but he clearly is this is a lot worse for him than it is for me. Like, I can't complain in comparison when I was, like, in the beat center or whatever, like, seeing other folk, um, like, older guys as well, who maybe had testicular cancer, um, and there was kind of guys with lung cancer, and I was like, I have, I have the very good end of this deal um, in comparison to some folk. Mm. Uh, you do feel that when you're, especially when you're in hospital as well, and you got other people around you. Yeah. There was a guy who 
was next to me had bone cancer and it was everywhere, you know, mm. and uh, I'm, you know, complaining and I'm being sick and this guy's honestly the most stoic human being yeah. I've ever met in my life. He's like, you okay, son? And I'm like, no. <laughs> there, was a, there was actually a guy younger than the first night I was just sharing like a two, um, a two person room. Mm-hmm. I think he was actually like 18 or something. He had bone cancer as well. So he had his um, leg amputated like from the knee down. Um, and he was basically saying that that was the second time he was in, so he got given the all clear at like New Year, and then they phoned him back like two weeks later, basically being like, "You have bone cancer in the other leg." So I was just like, "He's eighteen. He's had his leg amputated. He's back in again." Like, I'm like, I've just had a ball out. Mm. Like, I'll be fine. I can't imagine what it's like for him, especially eighteen. Yeah. Like obviously twenty seven is young, but looking back to if I was eighteen or whatever, I would be you'd be shitting yourself. Like yeah. um so yeah, seeing other folk in the same like position of going through something, but I was just like they they're going through something a lot worse in comparison to me. So that's kind of as I, I felt lucky in a way. Um like obviously unlucky, but in the circumstances and being in that environment with kind of like much older folks seeing their families come in and stuff and I was like I'm I'm very lucky in comparison um yeah yeah it's it, I think as well like when you're in hospital and you're and you're, and you're kind of surrounded by that it, it does kind of it weirdly helps as well you know it's like because of the kind of I sometimes I catastrophize what was happening and then yeah that next round you're in you could see around and you're going okay like you know, and I had some really awful moments during. I was I wasn't quite as lucky. I was really unlucky during my chemo, but I had a I had moments though where you're looking around, going, "Yeah, this may be happening to me, but uh, I'm lucky compared." Yeah, I'm like, you know? I can't imagine what someone's was dealing with. There was yeah. like, I just remember there was an old guy um, just across from me in one of the rooms. I think maybe the second round of chemo that I was in for, and he was like. His son would come up, had no energy to speak to him, just completely knackered, couldn't stop coughing. Um, he had a couple of falls, like, basically trying to get up and down to the toilet. He was told, please just stay in your bed and stuff like that. And I could see him about to get up and I'm trying to shout someone in and he's, like, having a fall in the bathroom, get stuck in the bathroom. And I'm just like, this is... Like, I felt really sorry for other folk around me. Yeah. Um, but like you all can have that common thing of there's all we all have cancer here mm. like not bonds you but you just kind of have a mutual like understanding sort of thing yeah um especially when i was sharing um the guy that was diagnosed at the same time as me for my first round he was in as well so i'd like chat to him um and we'd be like we've spoken to so and so and we're like we have it relatively easy in comparison to them and stuff like that like a guy I think his family would come in, he was maybe 50-ish. Um, and he had testicular cancer, had to have, um, I can't remember the procedure is, but they removed like your lymph nodes and stuff. Right. So proper like open surgery, um, stuff like that. And I'm just like, thank God. Like I never had to yeah. go through anything like that. Um, so yeah, it was just, it wasn't like peace of mind when you were in, but it was just nice to, I say nice, but it was, it was nice to kind of be surrounded by people who kind of understood what you were going through. Mm-hmm. And like all the staff were 
unbelievable. Like yeah. they were so good. Um especially for as we say, they're understaffed and they were there was one girl who's running from I think I was on like floor three and she was going between the floors to kind of look after folks. So Yeah. I found as well when I was in that my concentration was rubbish, so I couldn't even like see yeah. like twenty minute shows. I couldn't even watch anything. Like I was just um, but there was this one nursing assistant, this big laddie who would come in and just uh, he would just talk to me about the bets that he was putting on and yeah. do you know what? See that this kind of time that he was around, I was like, ah, you are making this so much easier because of you know, and taking that time to be personable and I think that's that, that was always a thing with the folk in the beats and like they're all great, you know. It's like Yeah, I was yeah. I was in over like the World Cup was on, so I had at least something to try and watch. Right. Um but the the nurses were amazing. They let my girlfriend stay for like till like ten, eleven o'clock at night. They were just like, It's fine. Mm. Just like just sat in the bed with me and like for hours just try to keep me entertained. And I'd be like dozing off and like it's because I'm tired it's not because like <laughs> you're boring um, but yeah it was just nice to like they obviously are like they know what kind of makes a difference for folk and just being able to have folk up for like that length of time and stuff just made it so much more kind of it was a lot easier to go through than having to just kind of you restricted to like one hour um, of folk visiting um, and I remember all my treatment kind of I don't know if it was the same for you but all my kind of chemo drugs were at night mm. so they kind of let me do whatever I wanted during the day so I'd be down in the cafe going for a walk um, if I could and like I'd meet some of my friends and like my family would we'd sit in the cafe and stuff like that for a few hours just to kind of pass the time but they yeah. were always great with just every way like I remember like they came in with, I like my food so they came in like the first kind of couple of days and they were like, do you want this or this? And I was like, can I have all of them? <laughs> like, I'm I'm hungry. Um, and she was like, yeah, we'll, we'll sort it for you. So just stuff like that just made everything a lot easier. Yeah. And so when you were going through your treatment, like, um, was there anything that you found that was particularly, like you didn't realise was going to come up in terms of like, just even the, the subtle side effects, like, um, like, See, like brushing your teeth, did you have any kind of problems with your gums and all that type of thing? Or was there anything? So, like that? I was actually, again, really lucky with kind of my gums, um, like everything like that. But I did have, whenever I'd eaten food, it was just stuck, like in my chest. Right. Um, so, like, I was having trouble digesting anything. Um, and, like, I remember they gave me Amiprazole and things like that just to kind of help. But like that was the kind of the, the main thing for me. Like it would kind of hurt to sometimes drink mm -hmm. and just kind of eat food. And but thankfully we kind of sorted that for kind of the subsequent rounds of chemo and stuff like that. Um, but I did get, I basically had problem problems with um, ligaments, tendons, um, and I had a really weird sensation where my hands felt like they were burning all the time. All oh, right, okay. So palms of my hands were just constantly like, only way to describe it is like rope burn. Mm. So like even if I'd be, like I couldn't properly close them, couldn't open them properly, they were just kind of stuck. Um, and that just turned out to be one of the side effects of like the bleomycin that I was having to, um, having to get. So yeah, I think that lasted for maybe four or five months before it disappeared. Um, and then when I started kind of going about, I'd been given the all clear and going about kind of normal daily life again, where I was trying to do a bit more exercise, 
like cycle to and from places my knees were like so so painful mm. I couldn't even just getting up off the chair or like having sat at my desk for 10 minutes I'd get up off my seat and I'd be like my knees are just felt like I couldn't straighten my legs so I was having issues with um, like tendons and stuff and I had was having like tendonitis my shoulders um, my hip initially and then my knees but thankfully that's all kind of disappeared now Right. but just during the time when you're trying to go back to like what you would normally do but there's still kind of something lingering I was like this is so frustrating and it's just getting me down like that I can't do I, I'm going back to rugby but I can't keep running because my knees are so painful but I can't do anything about it like they were like we can give you painkillers or anything like that it's like it's not it's not a sudden pain that needs to kind of be soothed it's just kind of constantly and obviously I can't take painkillers constantly for like months or whatever but eventually it did go away Um, and yeah the one with my hands I just wanted to play my playstation all the time and I was sitting there like this is so annoying <laughs> like just stuff like that you don't really think of Um, but yeah I didn't really have any kind of Again, very lucky with side effects and stuff in the grand scheme of things. It seems to be I just managed to get away a bit lighter than other folk. Um, so like yourself, you'd sounds like you had a lot more kind of side effects and issues with treatment, whereas I got off lightly just kind of in comparison. Yeah. I mean, I, in terms of the kind of treatment for the, um, like the, the chemo and stuff like that, I had like similar kind of feelings. It was more like the pins and needles or numbness in my fingers. Um, I like I've said this before, but I ended up with bird flu and sepsis during my treatment. Uh, so like, Jesus. you know, and obviously they were only part of the the, the chemo, but it was Not just signed of, up for. Yeah, honestly, I was like, oh, how can this be? But um, but yeah, the 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 biggest the biggest thing that I had that killed me was the dextromethasone. Did you get dex at all? I don't think I did, no. So it was a steroid for like as an anti-sickness thing and it was one of those ones where I'd take it and 25 minutes later it felt like somebody was pushing a train through my head and it was like I had this want and desire to like, I could have ran through walls mentally but physically I was like, oh, and my, bo yeah. my body and my brain didn't know how to talk to each other so it was stuff like that that was, it was awful but um you know, I'm glad for it because I wasn't I wasn't nauseated like for yeah. the whole time really, that, you know. That's the thing, mm. like obviously you got that, but mm. thankfully just an anti anti sickness tablet was enough for me. Yeah. Because like, I'm sure one of the kind of older guys who had to get his lymph nodes taken out, I'm pretty sure he was getting that injection and I could just hear him groaning all mm. the time and it, it sounded like he was not having a good time. Um mm. so yeah. I'm pretty lucky in, yeah, in comparison. Uh, and were you all right when you were doing the white blood cell injections? And yeah, like so that? yeah. Because my mum was a nurse, she was like, oh, I'll do it if you want. And yeah. I was like, oh, it'll be fine. Um I was I asked if I could put them on the top of my leg just because I felt a bit more kind of comfortable doing that. Okay. Uh -huh. Um and yeah, I managed to do that pretty fine. And then I think when I came to I think it was a third round of chemo and I was properly like just out of it nothing was healing so fucking like hundreds of dots just yeah. all over my legs and just nothing was healing um but yeah I don't, like because i go for I have a um like a blood condition that just is hereditary runs in my family and i've always been checked like kind of every six months since i was born basically um 
and I have no, I think that's why I don't really, needles don't really bother me. Um, so yeah, I didn't have any kind of issue injecting myself or when they were putting in the, my cannula or taking blood or anything like that. It was all just kind of fine for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's just, I'm also, I was also just like, it's part of it. I have to do it. Like this pinch of my skin, quick, like two second injection. It's two seconds. I can manage it. Like it's not. In the grand scheme of things as well. Yeah, yeah you're like, like, it's, uh, it is nothing. Yeah. Because like, it, it's funny because it does, it does kind of, if you're squeamish about needles and things like that and you have to go through something it will take quickly take that away because your brain yeah. will go but you need to do this do you know so it's like, like you just go, oh, okay. sitting there half asleep waking up in the morning and they're coming to sort my cannula they're coming to take blood I'm, I'm getting an injection I'm like mm-hmm. just do what you've got to do <laughs> <laughs> so I was see, as a kid I was terrified of needles but I like I eventually like I got my first tattoo and that helped me kind of get over that yeah. and I remember like um, before I went in for treatment I talked to my wife and uh, saying they just don't bother me like I I don't even flinch really and uh, there was one day she was in um, watching me and I was getting I think I was getting my cannula recited and uh, she was just watching my face and nothing she was like Paul you didn't even blink I was like yeah it's because eventually yeah. you just go it's like oh I've been stuck with that many needles now that <laughs> I do remember there was this there was this one nurse who so I have like I always get my blood taken on my left arm always in this one specific place because it is such an easy vein to get to um, she was adamant on going elsewhere, and I was like, "Not sure how I feel about that." You can just, I'm, t- I'm, I'm not trying to do your job for you, but I'm telling you because everyone else goes here, and it's just the easiest spot. And honestly, that's the only time I've been like, "All right, I've had enough." She was like, just kind of stabbed me in every place but my, this one vein, and like obviously because you can't heal at the time, I had a massive like bruise halfway down my arm, just black, and I'm like. Yeah, I'm not trying. Not trying to tell you how to do it, but <laughs> if you'd done that, we'd be fine. Yeah. Um, but that was like the only time for me. And then maybe there was one time I woke up, my cannula had popped out. All right. Like I wasn't getting any treatment or anything at the time, but it was just I woke up and I was like, hand feels a bit wet, mm. <laughs> and it was just blood like all over the the bed sheet and just kind of like, like dribbled down onto the floor. Mm. But apart from that, I was like. Yeah, it's just it's got to be done at the yeah. end of the day. I had the only time I had a, anything that was kind of a little bit sore. I had a, a cannula that was put in here because I've usually got really good veins, but for some reason they just couldn't. Eventually, everyone was just constricted. Yeah, and uh, so but it was right up against my knuckle for the three days that I was in, and I was constantly sore. And I remember like the day that um, I had no nothing left to get, even fluids. The nurse didn't take it out. I just went like that. <laughs> I am done yeah. with this. You know, it was that point. I was like, I'm done with that, and I'm ready to go home because <laughs> so, I'm so tired. Yeah, there was. So that's kind of similar to like when I, I think it was my third round of chemo. It was meant to be twenty eighth, twenty ninth, thirtieth. I turned up on the twenty eighth um, of December. Ready to get my chemo. Blah blah blah. I kind of. I was like. I'm familiar with this now. I know what happens. We'll be fine. Um, for whatever reason, like the chemo had been sat out for too long, so they can't use it. So I had to then stay in an extra day, which would take me to the 31st. And I was like, I am not spending New Year in here. I was just the one thing I mind the whole like, because I basically sat on the 28th, 29th, 30th, 
and then ended up I had to stay the 31st but I sat in the beats and my house was five minutes it's like five ten minutes away from the beats and but I had because I'd been kind of checked in or whatever I had to stay so I'd spent an extra day in the beats and right just for no reason yeah. and I was like can I not go home <laughs> like please I live five minutes away yeah. um but then it got to the 31st um so it was like the night of the 30th and I was due to get um like my last kind of bag of chemo or whatever um they couldn't get the cannula in and they were like your hand's too swollen we're gonna have to wait and I was like please no mm. please don't stay another day um so I was like it must have been kind of two o'clock in the morning um and they were waiting for like another they had a doctor on who could put a cannula in and uh, honestly we sat there for like an hour he was trying both hands um and eventually I had to get it like right down there at my knuckle as well right it was just the only place it worked but that whole time I was just sitting there being like please don't stay in please mm. don't make me stay in um because I knew it was like the kind of the last leg sort of thing um, but yeah, it was just. I think I thankfully I didn't. I got out kind of midday, kind of thirty first. Yeah. Uh, wow. Honestly, it's 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 so funny. Like when you hear similar stories as well, because you're like, I can totally empathise with that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're like, oh yeah. It's, you just you just know that like, nah, I'm I'm just done. You know, yeah. uh, you can see it. And again, like you got folk who are maybe getting more and more treatments than maybe we got and you're going yeah. I don't know how anybody could have got to six man I would have been <laughs> tearing yeah. my if, I'd, if I had hair I would have been tearing it out I know <laughs> <laughs> I, thankfully I managed to keep my eyebrows I was I remember going to one of the um, and like literally I remember just so I'm very hairy in general mm-hmm. hair was going everywhere the one place still still kept my back hair and I was like what is this <laughs> This is just not fair. Um, but managed to keep my eyebrows because uh, I would have looked horrendous without eyebrows. Yeah, yeah. Kind of like a bald chia pet. You yeah. <laughs> I was just like my girlfriend was like. I remember she came to one of the like kind of the. I had to get the bleomycin like every couple of weeks or something. So like one of the outpatient things. Um, and she was like, "Will he? Will he keep his eyebrows?" And I was like, F-. "The doctor was like, yeah, if they're not gone by now, they should be fine." And I was like, "Oh, like, thank Ooh. God." But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I've, so see in terms of you know hopefully potential listeners and and guys who are going to kind of not just be a patient going through it but possibly supporting you know people going through it is there any advice you would give to guys going through it or guys who you could maybe support their mates going through it and things like that like for me and like my group of friends I'm sure it's the same for I dealt with it humour is the only way like just it got me through so just typical dark humour all the jokes about having one ball blah 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 like that was that's what kind of kept me going sort of thing was obviously not not taking it seriously but it was more just take everything deal with it with humour and for me that was just the easiest way like I'd be the first to kind of take a piss out myself um, have a laugh um, but yeah I think for just kind of anyone who maybe has a lump or something with a testicle just go and get it seen to is the only like I you can't really say anything else I suppose other than 
because it's not going to go away or magically get better. Like if you have a problem, just nip it in the bud, get it seen to as and when it kind of occurs. Um, and then just, I think just can, again, as we said earlier, just like it is, I think more difficult for people from the outside rather than the actual person that's going through it. You'll have those moments of you'll be dreading something. You'll, like you said, you catastrophize and just oh, this. You'll think of the worst possible outcomes, like you think of the mortality of all. Um, but I just think you just, I kind of took it as this has happened. These are the steps we need to take. And once you get to the end of these steps, you'll be fine. Yeah. And I don't really think you can, you can't go through it any other way. You kind of, once you are diagnosed with cancer, to sit there, cancer, any kind of cancer, I think that there's that initial flood of emotion. Everything runs through your head. But then once you kind of get a moment to collect yourself, you then just like, right, this is what I've got to do. And from then on, I think you just kind of learn to deal with it. It's not, you can't really give someone instructions or obviously you can recommend things on the way, but as soon as you're kind of on that journey yourself, you find a way to deal with it. And for me, it was humour. It was just kind of having a laugh with my friends, my girlfriend, my family, plenty of ball-related Christmas presents that year. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's just, I think humour for me was the like the one way that kind of helped me get through it. I don't really know where I'd be if I didn't kind of take a light-hearted approach to it. Obviously it's really serious, but at the end of the day, you've just got to get through it. And whatever way works for you is the best kind of way to go for it. And your friends and family will definitely follow on the same path if they'll obviously attempt to make everything as easy as possible. Like, everyone was on hand at, like, a moment's notice. To be honest, if anything, at some points, there was too many folk wanting to come up and visit, or I just need a moment, I need to sleep. I think just whatever works for you is the best way to kind of go forward. Yeah. It seems to be the um, the through theme, you know, that humour, that dark humour. I think being Scottish, that is the thing as well. It's just, it's just that natural thing to do. Um, just, uh, thank you so much for coming on yeah, and, and no telling problem. your story mate Pleasure. it's it's been really interesting for me uh, you know getting to know other guys who have went through this as well so um, no I really really appreciate you man no, thank you so much a pleasure I mean uh, this is the first time I've actually spoken about it since I was in the Beatson like right. properly with someone else who's gone through the same thing so for me it's been a really good experience and just a pleasure in general. No, thank you. Um, do you want to, I don't know if you want to kind of maybe plug the rugby club, your own socials, it's up to yourself. You yeah, can, I mean, yeah. Hillhead, John Hill Rugby Club, we did we Movember campaign. They were amazing throughout it. Like everyone um, kind of came up to visit, support me. Um, and yeah, I mean, for me, when I was diagnosed is when I kind of stumbled upon you guys on Instagram. I'd seen kind of things done with football clubs. Obviously, I, I love watching football. We used to play it when I was younger. And I think that's kind of, for me, a really, like, in my opinion, it's a really good way to kind of get through to people. It's through sport and stuff as well. Um, but yeah, it's been a total pleasure. And thanks for having me. No, thanks, mate. Cheers. Cheers.